Well, if you go back to uh, 900 AD, the alchemists were kind of at the uh, height of their careers. They were trying to get gold by transforming lead, but they had a belief system, and that belief system said that there's more than enough. They believed that life was good. It was meant to be enjoyed, and that was the reason for their quest to find riches for the masses. It was quite a contrast to the Greeks and the Romans who had a belief system that said that, that life was meaningless or random or that the gods did not pay attention to us. In fact, the names that we have for the planets come from that time period because that's the names of the gods in Mars and Venus and Saturn. But that word planet means to wander because they had a belief system that said the gods may wander sort of in and out of your life, but they're never interested in what's taking place on Earth. The alchemists, they had a different belief system that said God is intimately involved in the world, and he wants, again, everybody to have more than enough. Now, they never did transform lead into gold. They did, though, discover two things we use today, chemistry and then some medicine that uh, they started to really open up new avenues for understanding the health in the body. You know, you go back to that first century, that's what people, though, were asking about Easter. There were people that thought maybe life was meaningless, maybe God was not interested, and others that said, you know what, these events that took place in the life of Jesus of Nazareth, we have some real questions about that, and how much is God involved in day-to-day life? You know, they knew there was the empty tomb. They knew that other people had been resurrected. There was the earthquake. Angels had been appearing. You know, people had seen the risen Christ. The temple veil was torn in half. So they had a lot of questions, and they go to Peter, the, the head apostle, and they ask him, you know, tell us more that we need to know about what happened because it's obvious that it wasn't just a trial for a man that was given false charges before the the Sanhedrin. And in Acts chapter 2, 22 to 25, we'll look at that briefly here this morning, but Peter stands up and answers their question. And he says to them in Acts 2, 22, Israelites, listen to this, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs as you yourselves know. The King James says, all of you know this. You know, Jesus, when he was arrested, told the, the, the legion, you know what, I've been publicly in the temple every day and you come arrest me like a, a criminal at night. Everything he did was public. And so Peter says, you know, you know that he was not just a man because you saw the miracles, the wonders, the signs, all of you know this, he says, and now they're ready to listen. And Jesus is going to speak, or Paul, excuse me, Peter's going to speak into this question they have. It's a fulfillment of what would be said in the Gospels about Christ, where it was told that the Messiah would bring about miracles where the, the lame would leap, the blind will see, the dead will live again. Here's a, a quote I wrote down from Jay Adams it, along this line about life and meaning. And they're asking this of Peter, you know, much more than we understand what happened, this trial, this crucifixion. Now there's the empty tomb. How much is God involved in our life? And Peter says, you know, all the things that took place in, in the life of Christ. And Jay Adams says this, sin complicates, righteousness simplifies. Sin complicates, righteousness simplifies. You know, sin leads to more sin, leads to lying, covering up sin, where righteousness, following the straight, the narrow path, living with integrity, 
that's the simple way to, to live. You don't have to worry about carrying the world on your shoulders and, and trying to cover things up. You just live your life loving God and then do the next thing. Anthony Robbins says, who you spend time with determines your destiny. We have this unique time in history. We all have a chance now. Some people are still you know, at home. They can't leave. Others are facing illness. Some have been unemployed. Others, uncertainty about the times. But each of us can determine who we spend time with. That's going to determine our destiny. You may not be able to leave your house, but who you listen to, the things that you read, the conversations you have through media, through the phone, whatever it is, you know, that determines your type of thinking which determines the type of life that you will then live. And we can come out of this time period either as as a warning or as an example. And what the people wanted to know from Peter is what does all this mean? And Peter starts and says, you know the miracles. We're going to see what he says next to them. Doug Phillips put it like this, though. A lot of people are looking at the culture and they're looking at the world and they see sin, they see immorality, they see fear, they see doubt. You know, on TV, you know, there's different political parties that are saying terrible things about each other. And Doug Phillips says it well. He said it's more important that a few people do well than that many people do wrong. It's more important that a remnant is faithful than that a multitude does evil. All through scripture, you can find that, you know what, the majority may be confused, the majority may be going the wrong way, but God stops and he looks for that minority of people that, you know, stand up for him. You go back to the story again of, say, Sodom and Gomorrah. What did Abraham say? If there's 10 people there, judgment, if there are 10 that are righteous, judgment would be withheld. So it matters more what you and I do than what crowds may be doing, things they may be doing wrong. Sin complicates things. Righteousness simplifies things. And what the remnant of faithful people do to shine the light into the darkness so that other people can find the way out, that's what matters more. You know, there's a fascinating study that was done. Researchers, they had a group of monkeys and they went in one day and they gave each one an apple and then they left the room and the monkeys, you know, they were peaceful. They simply sat, they ate the fruit The next day, though, the researchers came in. They gave each monkey two apples. They waited a few minutes, and then they took an apple from each monkey and left the room. And suddenly, the atmosphere changed. The monkeys started to argue. They started to throw things. They were screeching back and forth. And what it shows is that if people feel like they've lost something, even if something was gained, they stop appreciating what they have. And that's the challenge each of us are are looking at now in this time period to stop and say, you know, did I gain something or did I lose something? And what are some of the things that we might gain in this time? Again, maybe a a closer walk with Christ, rebuilt family relationships, a different type of gratitude for what happens day to day in life. Listen to what Max Lucado wrote about want. He says, come with me to the most populated prison in the world. Its name is want, the prison of want. You've seen her prisoners. They want something bigger, nicer, faster, better. They want a new job, a new house, a new spouse. If you feel better when you have more and worse when you have less, you are in the prison of want. If your happiness comes from something you deposit, drive, drink, or digest, then face it, you are in the prison of want. The good news is you have a visitor. It's the psalmist, King David. I have a secret to tell you, he whispers, the secret of satisfaction. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David found the place where discontent goes to die. It's as if he's saying, what I have in God is greater than what I don't have in this life. Again, 
people in that first century, they were in a place where they were confused. Times were uncertain. Some people just saw, you know, something missing. But they know something has happened here that they need to understand. And so they go to Peter and they ask a little bit more about who Jesus is. The next part of Acts 2, Peter says this. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. Now what Peter says next is the hope we have every moment of every day. This is the reason we have our faith, and it's what's built our faith, is because what Peter says next, what Paul testifies to, and what Jesus said would be the sign to know that he is who he is. Peter goes on and says, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You see, when it comes down to the rubber meets the road, when it comes down to brass tacks, what matters most is the promise that God raised him from the dead because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. No matter what you and I face now, maybe a new challenge will come up in a few months, whatever it might be, moment to moment, we can say, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Let me read some other translations of Peter's statement there. The NIV says it's impossible for death to keep its hold on him. New Living Translation says death could not keep him in its grip. The Berean says it was impossible for him to be held in its clutches. The Christian Standard Version, it was not possible for him to be held by death. And God's Word Translation says it like this, death had no power to hold him. That's why, again, you and I, moment to moment, whether it's now in a lockdown or months from now when things are completely different, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. That's why he is our life. Death had no power to hold him. That is why he is the solid rock on which we stand. When the founding fathers were facing the Revolutionary War, Thomas Paine said, the time hath found us. The time hath found us. He was encouraging the countrymen of that time. Listen, this is the time we are in, and here's the challenge before us. Will we rise up to that challenge, or will we shrink back? We are in tremendously unique times here in the world, in our country. The time hath found us. Will, again, we come forth from this, an example or a warning? Will we come through this with a different life, deeper in Christ, or will we have compromised who we are in him? Let me give you two examples of some people that facing difficult times, uncertain times, and how they came forth from that. The first one, Leonard Abess, a hero to many because if you go back to 2008, when we had the economic collapse, when there were so many scandals with CEOs and greedy Wall Street executives and bankers, so many that had taken the money from the company and, and they bled dry everybody else's savings or pension and they did it without any sort of remorse. Leonard Abess stands out because in 2008, he sold his stock in City National Bank and then he shared $60 million, his own money, with 471 employees, some he had known since childhood. You see, when other people were trying to just take and take, Leonard Abess said, what can I do to give, not fearing that there's not enough, but believing there's more than enough. Consider singer Alicia Keys, most know her by the time she was in her early 20s. She sold 30 million albums and she had won 11 Grammys. 
one day a stranger told her, you know, I listen to your music every day. For the last two years, I've been battling cancer. I found strength listening to your music. Alicia Keys, multimillionaire, said, you know, she spent her time buying all this expensive stuff. And here was a woman facing cancer. She said it rearranged her priorities and it was a defining moment and inspired her to now be someone who reaches out to as many people as she can. She works to save children on three separate continents. Again, the challenge where the crowds go versus where we are called to go in our example. Here's three simple steps to get to where you want to be from Joseph McClendon. He says it like this, as I think, so I feel. As I feel, so I do. As I do, so I have. Again, when we have certain thoughts, it leads to certain emotions. Those emotions that are empowering lead us to take action. Or if we think lousy thoughts and we feel disempowered, that leads us to take disempowering actions. All three of those are under our complete control. The way we think impacts how we feel leads to what we do. And when we stop and say, my thinking is grounded in the promise that death could not keep him. And he gave his life for me. And there's more than enough. And he gives me courage and strength. It's about seeing things from a different perspective. Again, seeing things from the light of who Christ is. It's seeing things different than maybe other people do. But finding our eyesight awakened by the truth. Paul Pilzer gives an example of people that saw things very differently. You go back to 1985, vinyl records were a $24 billion industry. By 1990, that industry was all but gone. Some saw it as the end. Others, though, like the alchemists that said there's more than enough, believed it was the beginning of something greater. And they then developed CDs. They replaced vinyl and produced twice the profit. Today, of course, we have MP3s. But again, for some... They looked and said, this is the end. Others looked and said, this is the beginning of something new. Because there's more than enough because God is involved in our life. Someone anonymous shared this, but it's a a great statement. It says, one day you will tell your story about how you overcame that battle you went through. And God will send you the exact people you need to hear that story. You know, the way that we're making decisions, living our life, taking actions now, developing character, there's going to come a time for you, for me, we're going to have the exact answers to somebody facing a certain problem about how we stood in Christ during challenges that, again, maybe we've never even imagined facing in our life. The last part of Acts chapter 2, Peter's told the, the group, you know this, you've seen the miracles. And death could not keep him. And now he says this. King David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. He's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. The beauty uh, of what King David says here, David again, writing about 900 BC, but he saw forward the Messiah that would come, spiritually understood. And he said, you know, the Lord's always before me. He's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. That's the hope that we have day to day because death could not keep him. We know he's always before us. He's at our right hand. So then what's going to move us? When the world steps up in fear, we step up in faith. When others step up and say there's not enough, we step up and say God provides more than enough. 
He provides a nothing missing, nothing broken life because he laid down his life and took it back up again. In the 1500s, Martin Luther had opposed a corrupt pope. That pope put a warrant out on his head. And Luther was in hiding for many months. Having crossed the pope, he became a marked man. And one day a soldier knocked on the door where he was staying. Luther, for whatever reason, answered the door. And the soldier said, who lives here? Luther answered, Christ lives here. You see, faith walks differently, it believes differently, and it says no matter what's taking place, what upsets, uncertainties, fears, and doubts, and conflicts, Christ lives here. It speaks forth and says, for my life, Christ lives here, and he is ever before me, he's ever at my right hand, therefore I shall not be shaken. Owen Fitzpatrick shares, think about what it would be like have a constant companion who did nothing but insult you, made you feel bad for making mistakes, filled you with worries about the future and regrets about the past. The problem is many people have such a companion. Fitzpatrick goes on and says that companion is a person's self-talk. And he rightly concludes, you know, when people really become aware of how bad they talk to themselves, it can be a real wake-up call. You know, scripture says death and life are in the power of the tongue. So again, seeing things differently, speaking things differently, believing things differently, as I think, so I feel, as I feel, so I do. So again, to stop and say, what sort of things do I think about? What sort of things do I feed my mind, my spirit? Who am I spending time with now, even in this time where, you know, we can't uh, necessarily be face to face? What a different life to be able to say in all things. Christ lives here. You know, again, the crowds, they gathered around Peter. They wanted to know, obviously, it's not like the planets that just wander in and out of life, not like the Greek and Roman gods that just wander in and out of life. This brings it down to an intimate level. This man, Jesus, laid down his life. And like a sheep before shearers, he opened not his mouth even at an unjust, corrupt trial. And stripes were laid on him. He was nailed to a tree. Peter says, you all know the miracles. You know the tomb is empty. You know the King David said, because of him, I will not be shaken. And the crowds, they said to Peter, now that we know this, what shall we do? And Peter says, you know, first is repent. Repent is turn and go the opposite way you're going. And then he says, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your trust in the one of whom death was unable to hold. Then you'll know that life of more than enough. More than enough peace, more than enough love, more than enough hope, more than enough grace. You know, there's a beautiful story in the life of Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson worked, you know, side by side by President Nixon. And after Watergate, Chuck Colson went to prison for that. And when he went to prison, some friends of his that were Christians told him about this Christ. 
and Colson then put his faith in Jesus and he found this tremendous peace. In fact, when he got released from prison, he spent the rest of his life traveling the world to, to speak at prisons and, and to share faith in some of the darkest places in the world. You know, a lot of people were skeptical uh, about him, you know, because he was this person that was kind of ruthless before going to prison. And then in that time, he found this faith. So a lot of reporters wanted to know, you know, is this real for you? Is this something that you're going to hold on to this faith? And Chuck Colson gave a interview to one reporter and he said, let me tell you how I know that faith is real. He said, I learned true love from a friend. And here's what Charles Colson said. I'll never, I'll never forget the day that Senator Al Q called to say, Chuck, because of your family problems, I'm going to ask the president if you can go home from prison and let me serve the rest of your prison term. You know, for Chuck Colson, you know, he said that moment just transformed everything because here was a living, breathing picture of Christ who would enter into our life and serve our prison sentence for us. And this guy was willing to lay down his life and sacrifice all of that for, for me to leave prison. And he said, how much more did Christ do that? You know, but Charles Colson shared, you know, I understood more about the sacrifice that Jesus made. But he said what happened next was just as beautiful. He said, what happened next is as I told that story to this reporter, suddenly this reporter told the cameraman to stop rolling, and this reporter began to weep and said, you know what, how do I have that same type of faith? How do I have that same hope? How do I have that same promise that you're talking about and live with that same sense of freedom and life? And Charles Colson told her the same thing that Peter told the people in that culture, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, turn from the things that are leading you away from him, trust in him, know he's ever before you, he's ever at your right hand, and therefore you shall not be shaken. Live life, moment to moment, being able to say with all faith and hope, regardless of what takes place around, Christ lives here. Christ lives in me. Christ lives in you because death could not hold him.